today on the podcast, I have Rachel Hughes joining me and Rachel is from Redding, California, and she's a life consultant. We are really diving into the topic of relationships. Um, I think all of us, unless we're living under a rock, (laughs) are having to figure out how to navigate relationships. We've got family dynamics, work dynamics, leadership dynamics, um, romantic relationships. Um, We have friendship relationships. And I think sometimes it can feel a little bit like a maze. So we're trying to find our way through relationships. So hopefully today as unpack what the topic of codependency, because um, that is something that I wasn't aware of was a thing in my life, but it's a thing. And we're really going to dive deep into what that is and how it shows up in our life. Um, also really how sometimes we can make ourselves small so that other people can feel big. Um, how we self-abandon, how we really move through the earth, not being okay unless everyone is okay with us. So we're really going to be talking about what that is um, and letting go of judgment. And I'm really, really excited about this podcast. I've probably told a few friends, family, how excited I am because I just feel like Rachel carries so much wisdom on this topic. And yeah, you can go follow her on Instagram at Rachel Hughes Consulting. She has some really great posts that really simplify this topic and help bring you into clarity. So feel free to go follow her and also feel free to download, subscribe, share with your friends, write a review. Um, and I look forward to hearing what you think of the podcast. Here it is. Rachel, it's so good <laughs> to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's uh, so good to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Um, so I am excited about the topic we are diving into today. It's a bit of a, um, I'm trying to think of the word, but it's kind of a bit of an eye-opening topic mm. that a lot of us don't think we have, but... We do. (laughs) So we are going to be talking about codependency today. Um, Yeah, but um, I'd love for you to just share with our audience um, a bit about who you are and yeah, share, share who you are. Yeah, my name is Rachel Hughes and I'm a life consultant located out of Redding, California. Um, I was trained by somebody named Abby Stumball. I think it was eight years ago around that I'm up to yeah so I and my yeah. listeners know Justin Stumble because Justin's uh, been on the podcast yeah so that's Abby is Justin's wife yes so she mm-hmm. plucked me from the school that I was in and was like hey come work for me and um trained me and I did like a three-year-long like intensive training with her and then I've uh, been working with people one-on-one ever yeah. since and um yeah and here in Reading, married so yeah. that's mostly what I do I've been working with people yeah. one-on-one and then also working a little bit in Abby and Justin's courses and um, just their various classes and schools that they have also sort of help with that um yeah so. yeah and for the listeners this course is called Living Fully Alive isn't it and There's that one. And then the main one that I'm a part of is a, actually a year-long um, program that's about training people to be a life consultant. And so oh, amazing. That, 
um, their life consultant masterclass. Yeah, it's so amazing. And I've, um, you know, benefited from a lot of their content. They have a great podcast and all of that. But I think um, I actually first heard about you, Rachel, because my mom did the Living Fully Alive course. Um... And she would talk about Rachel Hughes, Rachel Hughes. And and so, and then I finally (laughs) had the pleasure of meeting you. So yeah, I've had a session with you and I, and I highly recommend people. So, um, but yeah, I'd love to, because I mean, I've had a journey becoming a life coach and it's like, we go on our own healing journey and then we get so many nuggets that we're like, I, I feel like overflow means to give it away. And so Mm -hmm. I would love like to kind of backtrack a little bit and like go back into, well, first of all, what did it just sort of organically happen going into life consulting? Um, yeah. <laughs> I kind of laugh because I think it was a very like um, bizarre way. I don't think it happened in sort of a normal way. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think there is some relief in knowing like if you've worked a lot on yourself. So like I have seen counselors, life consultants, life coaches, everybody on the face of the sun for myself since I was 11 years old. So I've been talking about myself in therapy my entire adult life. So those are a lot of hours and a lot of money. So yeah, Um, there's some reassurance that like the price you pay, um, there's like, there's like a, um, the other people get to get freedom for something that you paid a really high price for. Like, I think that feels, um, that feels, uh, rewarding. It's a really rewarding experience. hundred percent. Um, but I didn't really endeavor to find myself in this job. I think a lot yes. of people think, oh, I'm going to go try to be a life consultant. Mm-hmm. I really was like, because of the way that I grew up and how much survival mode that I was in for most mm-hmm. of my life, I sort of thought like, I'll probably just like work a normal waitress job for the rest of my life. Like I wasn't really thinking about trying to move a business or yeah, even make money off of anything. I was just sort of like doing my own thing, but I really, I was really interested in getting free. <laughs> like that yes. was like my thing. It's like, I don't want to live in this amount of torment. If I can make this torment less then I would love to find that. So I was just really running after things for myself. Like it wasn't out of a motivation in the beginning that it was right. going to help anybody ever. Yeah. Um, and so I just, gobbled up as much information would read books constantly I still am kind of that way as many podcasts as much information that I could about making like making my inner world make sense like at first yes. that was yeah it was like I want to I understand what is happening <laughs> which I think in a part of it was my desire to control my emotions I was like if I figure it out then I can be safe from them so let's try to figure out all the things that I can about myself and that was the original but Really, yeah, so it was just on my own journey, and honestly, it was just Abby. I was a part of this class that now I kind of giggle because people would pay so much money to be in this class, but nobody knew about yeah. it. Yeah. It was in, like, um, I was in third year of BSSM at the time, and, and way back in the day, Abby used to run this morning class, if you were an intern, about, like, here's some good tools and skills to how to be a good intern, basically. It was a lot of kind of the content some of this similar content of what she teaches now about being a life coach, but she did it. It was like a weekly class and it was early for like some students. I don't think it was very early. I think it was like eight in real life, yeah. but it was early for like us 20 year olds who weren't used to getting up in the morning. 
Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wanted to get up that early. It was just so funny. So the class was tiny. It was like a class of like 15 people. I think. Yeah. And it was a year long thing throughout the school year. And I just did that and they gobbled up everything that Abby taught. It was like, I think this could change my life if I really yeah. like give it my best try hard. So yeah. I really poured yeah. myself into that. And then she liked me and was like, Hey, I think you could really be good at this. If you wanted to, do you want to come work for me? And I think for the first like few years, I was sort of like, this is a joke, right? Like this is not a real thing, but if she wants to like teach me more things, then I'm here yeah. for it. And yeah. so mostly I just wanted to learn like that. Yes. Was, like I wanted to have freedom for me and they wanted to learn and then when she recruited me, I was like, oh, great. I'll learn how to help other people. That'll be so fun. And then really what Abby means by helping other people is, are you willing to go on a bunch of your own stuff some more? Yes. <laughs> and so yes. that's what happened and radically transformed my life and loved yeah. me so much that I sort of just stuck around her for as long as yeah. I could for as things as I could. Yeah, so, that's yeah. so beautiful. And I think that <laughs> I can definitely – um it's almost like, cause I've worked a lot with counselors as well. And you can feel almost, well, you can tangibly feel in the room in some ways, the level of work the person has done that's sitting across from you in some ways, because yes. of almost like I can feel like when I first sat down with Justin, it was life changing in one session because he'd done so much work on himself and it was like I got fast tracked and that's what you do yeah yeah you I get kind of articulate. yeah you kind of get fast tracked because they're they're not giving you behavioral management tools they're they're really seeing into your soul and like getting to the root of it because they've gotten to the root of their things in their life so and oh yeah and I love yeah. that yeah. I love that. So yeah. Cool. There's like a presence and an embodiment of the actual story. 100%. And I think that there's something and honestly call it like what you want, presence, anointing, whatever. Yes. But I think that when you are in the presence of somebody who has paid a high price yeah. for a land and they've gone to a place that do you want to go, yes. there is like the path has been yeah. made easy for you yeah. to follow trail. So yeah, I love that. Well, I want to dive more into your story because it's so, when I first listened to your story, I felt um, like you were giving language to things that I had felt. um, And it was so, it just really resonated. And um, you mentioned the word survival mode. Life felt like survival Mm -hmm. mode. And I think a lot of us know what that's like but I'd love you to give language of what is survival mode and then how did that play what did that look like in your life yeah that's a good question yeah yeah how do we yeah which is there's so many questions around survival mode but tell us what what you think it is um oh yeah I mean for me personally it was a prolonged state of my trauma response yeah and so I for me it just like for me, it was a state of codependency. So, um, which I think we'll, we'll dive into a little bit yes. more in this conversation, but for me, survival mode was a lot about staying inside of the same emotional state, the same survival skills, the same trigger points over, over and over and yes. over and over again that were sort of born 
as a way to protect myself from my childhood, right? Like, um, so I think a lot of us, even though our childhood is over, yeah, internally it's still reliving over and over and over. Again, wow, right? Like we're cycling through it still. And so I think for a lot of my adult life, um, my inner world was as if I was still back in that torment, and it took yes. a long time. And and I actually think that um, it's just valuable for the whole world to know. I think how sometimes it just takes a while to yeah. unravel from all of the ways that we protect ourselves and all of the ways that we armor up and guard yeah. ourselves from the pain that we experienced when we were really young and really vulnerable yeah. and how that actually, the work of sort of surrendering that or letting those walls kind of like slowly come down or letting some of that pain slowly out. The work of that is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I always hope people feel hope inside of that because it's like, yes. it's a long time, but also it means like it takes a while and yeah. it's okay. It doesn't mean you're failing if you don't go from like your childhood to like free and happy. In the yeah. Yeah. 2.5. Yeah. I always tell, well, always feel like for me, survival mode is like dog paddling and energy. Like you're just trying to keep your, you're trying to keep your head above mm-hmm. water all the time. And you don't, and you can't even imagine a life where you can be at peace and feel safe Mm -hmm. and feel like things are going to be okay and it's going to work out. And, um, I know a lot of the time we experience people at their worst when they are in survival mode because the most triggered versions of themselves, most triggered versions of themselves as well. And for everyone listening, there's a big, (laughs) um, it's it's bin day or trash day here in Australia. So (laughs) if you can hear a truck, that's what that is. Um, (laughs) keeping it real here on the next brave thing podcast, but, um, you mentioned childhood trauma. Tell us about your childhood, just to paint a picture for the audience. Um, yeah, to give some context. Like. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a kind of an unusual way. <laughs> um, I grew up as a missionary kid overseas. So the first 16 years of my life were in uh, Thailand, so over in Asia. Um, and I was born there, raised there. And there was a couple things that, made my childhood specifically really hard. Um, we could go into it forever because I've done that in a lot of therapy in my life, but for yeah. brevity's sake, yeah, there was a couple of dynamics that made um, mm. that experience really hard. So partially was I had a very codependent relationship with my mom, mm-hmm. um, felt really emotionally responsible for her, um, felt really... Um, like I needed to be the one to make sure that she was okay. And that part of my feeling was um, I need to be the glue that sort of like holds the family together or even just like being um, the good kid. Like I need to be the good kid in this family. There was a lot of like familial dynamics to like, how do we keep this family um, afloat in this wild place that we live? You know, Um, there were, uh, we were homeschooled. So there was a lot of like isolation just inside of that. And we, um, all of us were homeschooled. And then I was the last of four kids. So there was a lot of just, um, feelings that, um, eventually when all the other kids left, 
my mom had a lot of pain and honestly, probably some pain of like abandonment came up in her. And so I was the last kid left after all the other kids left. And so, um, a lot of my role sort of felt like it became about being her best friend or taking care of her emotional needs, um, or making sure that she was okay. So that dynamic was really hard. Um, and, uh, there was a lot of like just different aspects. I grew up with a lot of interesting and challenging feelings surrounding food and body, um, partially because the culture that I grew up in was a very, um, for lack of a better term, pretty fat phobic, um, culture where it was really like morally not okay to be anywhere above the size zero. Like that was challenging. And I remember like there were so many times where strangers would come up to me and comment on my body or my weight. And that was just sort of like a normal occurrence, um, growing up where I grew up and for my life, um, specifically. And like, to be honest, like my dad, I, um, just for everybody knows, I really feel a lot of tenderness towards both of my parents. Um, but I like to give some information just so there's context, but, um, just so everyone knows, I actually don't feel like they're the villains of my story, but I also don't feel like they weren't human. And so sometimes I think healing is where you can hold balance for both where we can see their well intent, but we can also see where their actions created hard consequences for our lives. And, um, holding those both at the same time and holding the new ones what it means to be raised by people um but yeah so my dad my dad I think he um really tried um to know like to be a kind and loving dad and he did about a million degrees more than what he was raised with but he wasn't raised with the idea of how to be a dad um not without going into like his trauma but he had a lot of really difficult, challenging family dynamics that he grew up with. And so he was sort of given like a blank slate, like how do I be a dad? I don't know how to be a dad. Mm-hmm. And so um, I felt really emotionally removed from my dad for a lot of my life and didn't really know what it was like to connect with the man at all. Yeah. Um, so that was really hard. Yeah, really, really hard. And um, so I think it's helpful. Like, I'd love to hear your definition of codependency. Um, Because as you were talking about your mom, like, um, it's it's really interesting because I can look at my own childhood and a lot of the messaging wasn't necessarily what was said to me, but was Mm. what I picked up from. I love that feeling that. So tell me a little bit about, yeah, what codependency looked like. And, and I, and I love that because I think yeah. that a lot of what people feel inside of a codependent family dynamic is more, a lot about what they believe that love is. Yes. And um, some of it doesn't feel like it's overt. You know, it's not like, Hey, you need to take care of my emotions or like, right. You need like, and I think we, a lot of people have a very specific idea about what codependency is, I think, even just in media, I think a lot of people think that codependency is sort of like the standard alcoholic parent who's like abusive and ruining people's lives. And, and the one person who's sort of like enabling that alcoholism. And that is a function of codependency. That is a side of codependency. And a lot of things like Al-Anon and stuff like that is sort of born out of that dynamic. 
Um, but deeper than that, I think that codependency is a lot about um, a relationship with how we try to get our needs met and what we think is good. So, and what we believe about love. So I think for me, with my relationship with my mom, there were a few things that were really codependent. So um, one of the first definitions that I like with codependency is the idea that I give up me to be loved by you. And so um, I really think that encompasses the dynamic with my mom. It was a lot of, I give up my needs and hope that if I don't have any needs, then there'll be enough for you to get what you need. And then eventually you'll be full of whatever it is that you need, that you'll love me back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Or um, I give up my personality um, to try to mirror back to you what it is that I imagine that you would like to be so that you will be loved me back. And I think a lot of it is, it's rooted in the idea of self-abandonment, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to make myself as small as humanly possible so yeah. that um, I will feel as easy as humanly possible to you. And yes. um, so that I think is like one of the first definitions that I like is that I give up me to be loved by you. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I have notes, believe it or not. Yeah. And um, the second thing is I like um, the definition of, um, who I am is defined by you. So who, what you think about me is the thing that is telling me about whether or not I'm okay. Right. So, um, a fundamental quality of most of us codependence is inherently, unfortunately, we have a lot of low self-worth. Yeah. And it's the sense of like our self-worth is wrapped up in the thoughts and feelings of other people or the judgments and criticisms of other people. And so I can't tolerate the feeling of you're not okay with me, or you think something bad about me, or you maybe are not thinking that I'm the most wonderful superhero of your life ever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't live inside of that because of my own feelings of inadequacy and fear of low Mm self-worth. So that's a big function too. Um, I also think like a lot of codependency for me is about trying to avoid my own feelings and the chaos inside of me by being really fixated on the chaos inside of you. (laughs) And so a lot of like a lot of codependency is like I am going to fixate on fixing, resolving, helping, supporting nurturing, and in a lot of ways, giving you all the things that I actually unconsciously need, right? And a lot of it is an avoidance of self mm-hmm. and a, like a hyper focus on others in order to avoid yourself. Yeah. Does that make sense? And so um, I think so that's good. also one of the key things that I define codependency as. Yeah. As you were speaking, I'm like, oh, then I see that in myself. And I, I Mm -hmm. see like, obviously, um, a lot of us grew up, you know, in that kind of performance culture of like, if I clean the house, then I'm good. (laughs) And, um, and then I get rewarded. And so then I can Mm -hmm. be good. Or if I, um, even as you were talking, I think, even assessing my own codependency mm-hmm. around like helping, you know, start a school and start a university or whatever. And hey. really being like noticing if I start getting, I would notice in myself, if I start getting 
critical of the mm-hmm. culture and fixated on that. Yeah. It is like, actually, I'm, I, because I'm not happy with Allah, I'm not happy with my environment. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. You know, like, oh, so, and even I've noticed, like, even if I start getting critical of like how people are showing up and how they're failing and they should be doing this. And it's really like a reflection that is something in me going, will you pay attention and like be mm-hmm. those things for me rather than or- trying to yeah, trying to fix the environment to be satisfied. Like if my environment fixes something internally in me and in some ways, I'm not really explaining it well, but as you were saying that, I totally recognize my own people pleaser tendencies Mm. that totally lead us all to burnout. So do you feel like people, do you feel like everyone has codependency? No. That's a hard question. I don't know if I can make a blanket statement. I would say that a lot of us do. And I think that um, a lot of codependency is born out of shame avoidance. Like I don't want to feel like I'm bad. Like what you're describing there is like, I want to feel like I'm good. And I think a lot of codependency is um, wrapped up in the idea or the illusion of that I can make like I can can be in control by creating secure love for myself. Like, I can be exactly what I need to be to secure that you will love me, that you won't abandon me, that you will like me, that you will accept me. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of it is, you know, a reflection of how we feel about ourselves, as you were saying so eloquently earlier. Yeah. I think that a lot of us have codependent things. Yes. Um, And I think that if you dig into it, I think um, most people have something that is surrounding yeah. codependency, I think. Yes. Um, but I have a hard time making a blanket statement. Totally. I, I feel like for me, I try to avoid certainty statements where I'm like, for sure, yeah. everybody has this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. I talk to every person, but, um, yeah, that's good. A lot more than we think. And I, I think that a lot of people have some misconceptions that codependency is sort of this very specific brand of what it is. And yes. And I, for me codependency sort of lives more on a scale like there might yeah. be some of us like myself or so much of my life and my survival skills like I was mentioning earlier is wrapped up in codependency how I protected myself was trying to be so good and trying to get my mom to like me and try to avoid abandonment or making everybody in the world like me and think I was the best yeah primary way that I survived right 100%. and so hundred percent I think I'm going to be more on the side of the codependent scale. Um, And I think that, you know, when people ask me too, like, how do I get free of codependency? Like, how do I not be codependent anymore? And I always wrestle with that because I'm like, well, it feels like it's kind of on a scale to me. I feel like I'm I'm less on the scale that I used. I'm less on the extreme side of the scale. Most of my motivations was about my codependent tendencies. Now I feel like I have those tendencies. I feel more aware of them. Yeah. And I feel like I act out of them less and I comfort my root emotions that come up and I I comfort the abandoned, scared, insecure little girl in me more. Yes. When she feels afraid 
Yes. Um, instead of trying to like soothe my fear or soothe my anxiety or soothe my shame with making everybody happy with me all the time. Yeah. But I still exist on the scale somewhere. Yeah. Depends on what day you ask me where I am on the scale. Totally. I love how you're articulating that because I think before I really knew what codependency was, I would say, oh, I'm not codependent because I don't see, I saw codependence as like this needy, we can't live without each other. Oh yeah. Like a relationship relation. Like I, you have to like those kind of dynamics. And I'm like, well, I'm a pretty independent person, probably more of an isolator, you know, so I'm not codependent. And then I realized, wow, I am hyper vigilant when it comes to preempting how people are feeling in the room and who I need to be to make everyone else feel safe and feel included. Yeah. And, and I'm yeah. way, way too much emotional energy is going into that. So which, yeah. Which I love that you're saying that because I actually find not all the time, but a lot of the time that what you're describing happens a lot. And I would say with me, like I have a very strong independent um, don't worry about me. I don't have no any needs and an yes. isolating tendency. And part of what I didn't realize before is that part of me was directly tied to the part of me that was codependent. So I felt overly um, responsible and overly involved with the needs and feelings of others when I was around other people. Mm-hmm. And so in order to create some sort of balance for being overly on this side when I would trigger or when I was low or when I didn't have as much to give, then I would swing into isolation, right? So my isolation independence, I don't need anyone was actually directly tied to, um, I need everyone around me to need me, or I need to be what everybody else needs. And both sides of the spectrum don't really include a ton of vulnerability, yeah, or like real attachment, but I like what you're talking yeah. about because I think a lot of codependent type people are also isolators and independent, and a lot of times it's because there's sort of like a balancing scale. Like yeah. we swing to that because being around people in some way has felt too overwhelming because we yeah. can't be people's emotionally like emotional available all the time and be the source and feel the pressure of other people's feelings and needs for mm-hmm. a prolonged state. We're actually not meant to live that all the time. And so eventually yeah. we switch to the other side. Yeah. That happens a lot of the time. And I think it's like we hear, a, we have all these rules about what it means to be a good friend, a good worker, a good uh, yeah. leader, a good, we have these expectations that, mm-hmm are so invisible. And that's what I have noticed is like, what are the invisible rules that I've created? Because why am I so depleted all the time? Oh, because I'm trying to keep up with these rules that I've created from my childhood. And I I just love how how beautifully you articulate that. Um, Yeah. Were you going to say something? Yeah. Um, well, I was going to say, and I think a great thing for people to know, of like way to figure out what your rules are is to locate what you feel shame about. So yeah. like, I noticed that I felt a lot of guilt and shame surrounding having a boundary or saying no, or like when I first got married, I have so much guilt and shame about like not doing what he wanted to do all the time, like in silly ways, like 
I wanted to go to a restaurant that he didn't want to go to. And then he went there anyway. And then he didn't like it. And I felt guilt and shame. And I spiraled about what it was like that he didn't like to go to the restaurant. <laughs> I got whole thing and it gave me an idea like, oh, I have a rule. I have a rule about what love is. And one thing I think is just valuable for every codependent out there to hear and to know is that your shame and guilt isn't necessarily an indication of your morality as much as it's an indication of the rule system that you grew up in childhood. And adulthood is you get to figure out how to renegotiate those rules and Mm -hmm. figure out if those rules are serving you or if those rules are harming you or somewhere in the middle. Right. And so that's what I tell a lot of people that I work with about codependency. I'm like, find out where your shame points are and see, like, is that really that saying no to that person was bad or isn't an indication of the rule system of what you believed in childhood and what you believed about love from back when. So like for me, when I feel guilt and shame now, I'm like, what is this telling me about what I believe to be true? And what is this telling me about the rules that I have about relationship and love? Yes. Oh, that's so good. Oh my gosh. We all need to hear this message and be reminded of this. It's so good. Um, yeah, we've touched a little bit on like a little bit on like comforting and uh, reparenting a little bit. Um, but I want to just dive into, because going back into your childhood, Mm. you're needing to perform to make, make mom and dad. Okay. In, in, in a nutshell, so that you can be okay. And, um, I would love to know, like, what did coping look like for you? Because you mentioned that you were living in all this torment. And so what did, what did coping and getting through that kind of childhood look like for you? Well, I mean, I don't think I coped in childhood. Well, I I don't want to judge my coping skills. I think that that's something that I feel like is really, um, important. Like, I think that I have so much compassion on the little girl in me that did what she thought was the best thing to do to survive my childhood. I think in my adult self, like a bit of like learning my codependency was learning how to tolerate the discomfort. Yes. (laughs) That was like learning how to be like, I feel really uncomfortable when I'm not trying to be the good kid all the time. I feel really uncomfortable when somebody has a sad emotion and I am not I'm automatically trying to make them feel better. I feel really uncomfortable when someone has a criticism of me or isn't 100% excited about everything that I'm doing all the time. I feel really uncomfortable. And it was a lot about sort of sitting in that discomfort, figuring out what what is it that I need to feel soothed inside of this discomfort. Mm. Like, comforting compassion nurture all of that and also exploring the discomfort mm-hmm. you know like what is it inside of this moment of tension that I feel in my body and my own soul yeah. where I don't feel okay with me if you're upset with me what is that telling me about my relationship with myself mm-hmm. and so I think that was a big part and and it was also like learning to look at the way that I was feeling about other people felt like a direct mirror to the way that I was feeling about myself yes. right so the things that I sort of like was trying to protect other people from or fix in other people were a lot of the things that I was feeling out of control in and of myself and mm-hmm. felt like was sort of not okay in myself or yeah. um, maybe felt like it was hard for me to feel in myself. Yes. So it was yeah. a lot about sort of 
surrendering the outside and then looking inside a bit more. Yes, that's so powerful. And I love that you're talking about not judging the way that you're coping. That's such a big, powerful point because um, I know... I've been filled with self-judgment because we're taught like to have good habits and to manage our life and, you know, not be out of control. And I think when you're fighting off trying to have better habits, whether it's about eating or um, alcohol or, you know, relational dynamics, like judgment, we feel like if we judge ourselves, then that will make us better. And tell me a little bit about judgment. I am going to eventually do a pod- whole podcast on judgment, but I'd love oh, to hear from you. <laughs> um, ha- tell me about the role of judgment and, yeah, what that role has played in your life. Yeah, well, I, will, I love what you're saying because I think even the inner judger yes. inside of my own mind is was a way that I just trying to protect myself, right? Yes. Like I have a lot of people who come and talk to me and they are like, I have so much inner critic thoughts and they want to learn to not criticize myself. And it's almost like they sort of judge themselves for judging themselves, right? Like have a, a sense of like at war with their inner judger. And I think for me, I do try to sort of almost soften towards that part of me and sort of be like, oh, this is a part of me that believes that if, I can be good, then I can be safe and that I can feel secure love. And there's a part of me that feels like if I can't be in control and be good all the time, then love will be removed or then I will be at risk for abandonment, a risk for pain, at risk for rejection, right? And so I think for me, it was really important to recognize like that even the parts of me that judged myself were a part that was trying to find a way to protect myself. And I think for some, in a lot of ways, that kind of helped me feel softer. Mm-hmm. It was like, so mm-hmm. now when I catch myself having a lot of self-judgment, it sort of feels a lot more like, oh, I see that you're feeling really scared. I see that you're really afraid of shame. You're really afraid of doing something wrong and then feeling not okay with yourself. Or yeah. you're really afraid of like, what will happen if you don't fix this and how love might be removed from you or you're really afraid of um in a lot of ways I found that like I was afraid of my own feelings towards myself like if I don't get this thing sorted inside of me that I was afraid that I was going to abandon me or that I was going to reject me or I was going to be turned against myself and so I think there's a lot for me about a way that I sort of worked and I, I think this is an ongoing thing, but a way that I've found that has been really helpful for me with judgment is when I recognize that I'm judging, yeah. um, judging my coping mechanisms or judging the way that I am. I'm like, okay, what are you feeling scared about? Mm-hmm. What are, where are you feeling afraid and like you need to protect yourself mm-hmm. and fundamentally self, do you know that like, even if this never changes, yeah. I'm not going to mm-hmm. turn against you. Yeah. Even if you um, don't ever do any of this differently, I still am not going to think that you're worthy of abandonment or worthy of judgment or worthy of criticism. And I think there is something to be said just even logically um, for me and working with people, recognizing like that judgment doesn't ever really help anybody have, well, maybe it's helped somebody somewhere, but I doubt it <laughs> to create yeah. long term yeah. results. Long term. 100%. 100%. 
can mm-hmm. short term yourself into something, but a lot of times if you short term yourself into something with judgment, it'll, it'll backfire. Yeah. And, and so, um, for me, there's just a logic to that too, of like knowing, 100%. like, I can't actually judge myself into something that like, just like, um, you can't hate yourself into loving yourself. So I can't judge myself into a different behavior that will then lead to self-acceptance. Mm. Judgment will never produce more acceptance for myself. Yeah. Um, and so to me, that has yeah. been having yeah. a logic leverage. Yeah. And there's such a, like, I know when I'm in judgment, whether even if it's a judgment to someone else or gossip or yeah. anything like that, I'm like, oh, Ella, you're feeling a wound. Like there's pain there because usually when there's pain, we create judgment because we think that it'll keep us safe from pain. Yeah. Judgment is a way to stay safe. Yeah. 100%. And Uh I think that, um, yeah, I, I always sort of watch, like, it's kind of funny. Me and my husband, we play this game when we watch it. Well, I play this game. My husband has to play along with me. (laughs) Good husband. who do you naturally, who in this show, watching reality television would be really funny for me yeah. with, with me with a lot of people. Um, but I'm like, so who do you naturally have the most compassion for? And then who do you naturally judge the most? And where is that judgment reflection of what you fear in yourself? Yeah. And that's what we do all the time. That's such a fun my game. marriage is like, if he's like, oh, I don't like it. That person did that. I'm like, why? What is it that you judge in them that you think is, um, cause basically the same judgment stick, the same measuring stick that we judge other people on is the same one that we're on. Hundred Right. And so, so if I use that stick on others, it means that I have somehow used that same stick on me. Yes. And so, um, yeah, I think yeah. that I always just try to look at my judgments as a direct mirror for how I'm treating me yeah. and then a reflection of what I'm afraid of and what yes. I'm trying to protect myself from. Yeah. And it's really, judgment is really a cry for love. Because love is, you know, when we get love into those places and we feel safe and we do that through self-compassion and reparenting, which we'll jump into. But like when that happens, soothing happens and the stakes are lower. And I know for me, like, and this is connected, even if like relating it back to codependency, like sometimes part of like breaking out of codependency is putting boundaries maybe with another person or with self. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to think those thoughts or I'm not going to go down that path. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, there needs to be an action to kind of shift that kind of patterning out of your life. But we hang on to those things because we feel like they're going to give us something. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I guess because once we let go of a coping mechanism or let go of a, a pattern, there's, it, it's like, there feels like there's a gaping need. So how do we, if you can explain to people like how to reparent or how to, um, what does healing from codependency look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and what does it look like for you? Yeah. I mean, I think, it codependency and, and judgment, I think is married in the similar thing is judgment and codependency are kind of friends mm. because a lot of our codependency is about trying really hard to be good. And it's based on what yeah. we've decided is good or bad. Yeah. Right. Like it's based on a lot of what we've decided is more worthy of shame and more worthy of judgment and the things that we've decided are better behavior and more like what ever we've decided is 
better. And so yeah. for me, I think it's hard because I don't know if I've tried to be not codependent as right. much as I've tried to be like aware of what you're saying before, like where the pain lives underneath yeah, and aware of what the authentic need was that I was trying to get met through codependent um, beliefs and behavior. So like for me, like with my husband, when I feel anxious or insecure and I feel like I want to um, be everything that he wants so Mm. that he loves me and never leaves me. Mm. Like nowadays I sort of kind of feel that inclination and I'm like, why am I getting super fixated on like making sure that I don't do anything that he doesn't like today? Or why am I like checking in with him a million times and seeing if he's okay or not? (laughs) Or where, like, why am I feeling so anxious about how he feels about me today? And what is that saying about the state of my internal inner child? Really? Like, what is that saying about the state of my little girl, how she's feeling, what she's afraid of and where she needs reassurance and soothing. And I think that what, is sort of, and I think I said this on one of my posts that most people think that codependency is a relationship with other people problem. I think that it's primarily a relationship with self problem because yes. we're disconnected from, Hey, this little kid in me is, is, is needing something. And we're sort of thinking the way I soothe that little kid, the way that I reassure that little kid is to try to ex- control the external, like try to get everybody else to be okay, or try to get everyone else to like me or, try to like win everybody else over or mm. control how people view me that people think that I'm a saint. And, yes. um, and also with judgment, like there's hierarchy to codependency, like thinking that I'm better than other people because mm-hmm. I'm like the superhero of everybody's life. So, yeah. um, <laughs> to me, it's a lot about like embracing that I'm really messy and then I'm feeling insecure and then I'm feeling afraid that love might be removed. And so for me, like in working through codependency, it's more about sort of locating that inner child and then figuring out what does that little child need to feel a sense of secure love in this moment from me first. And often it does eventually come out in relationships. Like I'll sort of explore, oh, what is this little girl really scared of? Okay. She's afraid that like one wrong move. On, in my relationship with my husband will result in abandonment. Oh, mm. I bet I felt that so much in my life. One wrong move with my mom would mean that she'd shut down and she'd become emotionally disconnected. And, um, part of codependency too is sort of believing that my, my, my sense of self is directly tied to your state of being. So wow. if you're happy, my sense of self is elevated. If you're mm. not okay, my sense of self has lowered. Mm. And so, um, it's a lot of sort of learning to turn towards myself and being like, how am I doing on my own sense of self? How am I doing on the sense of self-acceptance and feeling okay with me and being okay with the fact that I feel insecure, being okay mm-hmm. with the fact that I feel really messy, being the fact, being okay with the fact that I feel really imperfect. Mm-hmm. And then like inside of relationships, there is a lot of like, okay, hey, babe, I just realized that the little girl in me is really scared that like one wrong move that I do one, one thing that is whatever is wrong or bad or one thing will tip the scales and you're going to leave me and I'll be all alone in the world. And I'm working on soothing this little girl. Can you kind of like hold me and tell me that you love me even though I'm messy mm-hmm. and human and mm-hmm. a little, um, a yeah. little broken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I love um, how you're describing that. It really gives such an awareness to what's mm-hmm. happening in our trigger moments in our adult life. And I often hear, especially in church culture is, oh, I'm not like, I got this radical breakthrough and now I don't struggle with that thing anymore. And, um, <laughs> and it's, or, oh, that person's really insecure. And, and I'm like, I haven't, I, I really, and it's, I think we make, even as, I don't know if you get this a little bit, but when I first started telling people, oh, I'm a life coach, they'd say, well, you, you have to have your life together. You have to be like so perfect <laughs> and that pressure. And it's so yeah. interesting. What I love about learning how to reparent is it's mm. like consistency of being aware of your inner child. And one thing yeah. I learned in trauma therapy was my, in my childhood, and it sounds similar to you, I didn't have consistency in certain areas. I had consistency in some areas and that's where I have strong, stronger security in my life sometimes, but in other areas, there was a lot of insecurity and inconsistency like most childhoods. But one thing that my counselor said to me is I have to be consistent with my inner child, little Ella. So, because she didn't have a consistent childhood Mm -hmm. and I know as I've been intentional about being consistent, that's created security, like in the areas where it has been painful, like finances or different relational dynamics. And, and I think that's, yeah, I love how you're articulating, like really connecting with your little girl. So what are some practical ways because you're really aware and I think awareness is so a part of it but what are some practical ways you mentioned kind of like it sounds like you kind of do some self-talk practices do you have other practices that help you to regulate oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) like oh gosh which one should I talk about yeah I think that's the gift of being in therapy for as many years Mm -hmm. as I've been in therapy the the yeah. benefit of that, I think, and I think this is just good for a lot of people to know is that I try a lot of different things a lot of the time. Like I just yes. try different doors. Like mm. I sort of go like, is there something logical that will help me in this moment? Okay. You know, yeah. is there something that I'm avoiding feeling that if I just give myself permission to be present in this emotion, is that going to relieve some like, is yeah. there some, a visualization that I can, like, there's a lot of just like doors that I try. Yeah. Um, and I think that feels yeah. imp- experimenting. And I yeah. think that um, to me, that feels like um, a way to have like shame free mm-hmm. wholeness. Like you're sort of like, Hey, like it's, there's no shame if I like try a bunch of things and it still feels like I'm triggered. Yeah. <laughs> like that feels fine. Like I sort of feel like I'm always just trying different directions and seeing if it creates any relief and even if it doesn't I still think turning towards myself feels kind and valuable and go in so yeah um but yeah like so like reparenting is that sort of like practical reparenting is that what you're asking yeah yeah what does that look like I think some people if it's new to them um hearing this idea of reparenting (laughs) is a little bougie yeah Yeah. I mean I think a lot of it for me exists in visualization because mm-hmm. I'm a very visual person yes. and I can, um, I can imagine that. So yeah. a lot of it to do with like 
presence and visualization. So sometimes that means like I visualize myself as a little girl and then I tell her what I imagine that I can feel what she needed to hear back then. So some of it does exist to that, but sometimes it also was sort of like being present with the little girl in my mind. So like, um, I think that that's where, um, where a lot of where we really meet, like where our needs are met with even kids. I used to work with kids for like six, seven years. And a lot of it was just sort of like sitting with them Mm. if they were having a hard emotion and sort of feeling that sense of like, I'm not here to fix you. I'm not here to control you. I'm just trying to be with you. I want, want to understand. And I want to be a secure place um, where you feel like somebody's on your team and is for you. And so sometimes I'll like be in a trigger and I'll just Mm -hmm. notice I'm like, okay, I can feel that I'm feeling deep shame. Like, let's just pretend. So like, let's pretend I'm like doing something and I recognize like, oh, what I'm feeling is I'm actually feeling shame. Yeah. And so I'll be like, okay, like how old does that shame feel? Mm. And a lot of times I'll get like a certain time frame because I I have a very, a very um, specific time that I remember feeling a lot of shame. Shame has mm-hmm. been throughout yeah. most of our lives for a lot of the time, yes. but it, that's what pops up in my mind a lot. So a lot of times I'll see myself as sort of the six-year-old girl who feels a lot of shame. And so I'll just sort of imagine like seeing her and I'll imagine sort of going up to her and sitting next to her. And I almost just sort of imagine what it would be like to just kind of turn towards her. Mm-hmm. And I imagine what it would be like to kind of hold her hand and sometimes I literally hold my own hand and kind of put a thumb on my palm and feel that sensation. Mm-hmm. And then I just sort of imagine like what it would be like to melt towards her. Mm-hmm. And I can feel myself getting softer and feeling this sort of tenderness that you would feel towards a little girl feeling shame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can feel sort of the moment when compassion gets activated in my soul. Like, yes. And I, I, and the beautiful thing is now, like, I've done versions of this practice where you sort of lean towards yourself until you hit compassion over and over and over again, where now it feels like you sort of have a, and like you were mentioning before, consistency, like a vat of compassion that lives inside of me, a yes. resource, yes. a well of compassion that lives inside of me. And so now yeah. when I find that I'm triggered, I can sort of just sort of lean into that and immediately feel like, oh, I'm looking at this little six-year-old girl. And I can see how worthy and how lonely she felt. Mm-hmm. And I can see how scared she was. And I can see how she just needed to be held. And I can imagine what that would have been like for that little girl to be held. And sometimes I do something even practical in my body, yeah. like wrapping my own hands around me and yeah. my arms, sort of give it a couple squeezes. And mm. the idea is to sort of fulfill what that, child needed inside of that hard emotion mm-hmm. so all the times what a trigger is it's almost like um it's almost like a jam sometimes it's like an emotion that um we all have feelings that sort of go through the cycle right mm-hmm. like we have a, a a sort of a spike where we feel the intensity and then what is meant yeah. to happen is that we sort of get soothing and then yes we sort of feel that sort of slow, like we seal the regulation setting, mm. right? And so, mm. What I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to make the trigger go away. I'm not trying to make the pain go away necessarily. Yeah. I'm not trying to fix the issues so that I don't have feelings about it. I'm just yeah. sort of help, trying to help 
the little girl who felt a little stuck in that hard emotion get what she needed to feel sort of like uh, a sense yes. of like get that sense of regulation again or I feel yeah. like love or compassion or connection or presence mm-hmm. or whatever it might mean. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to complete that loop as many times as I can over and over and over again. Oh, I love so that. that. Explain it so beautifully. Yeah. I think, yeah, if I feel like I get a trigger come up around like not feeling heard, if I can articulate like, oh, I don't feel heard by, you know, my boss or whatever it is, um, or a parent or in a dynamic, you're not listening to me, you're not hearing me. And I, I noticed yeah. my personality, I'll go in a bit of a loop where I feel like I'm saying, you're not listening, you're not listening, you're not listening. And that cue to me now that says, oh, you little Ella doesn't feel heard. And, and maybe she learned that her voice wasn't worthy. And, mm. um, so what I do is I love to write. So I will literally sit with a picture of my little Ella and I will, I'll say, I'm so sorry that I haven't listened to you. What have, oh, you, got to, what have you got to say? And then she'll usually say she's scared or that she feels mm-hmm. like powerless or she feels all these things. And then I'll say, well, what can I do to support you? Because you're powerful. What can I do? It's like my adult true self is having a conversation with my, um, yeah, with my inner child. It's like when I meet with clients and you probably have this as well, where they're like, I've done so much work. I've done all this and you kind of want to prove, and I've done this myself as well. Like you want to prove like, oh, I am like not a crazy person. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, that is your adult self who knows how to show up in the world that knows how to do this, but you're stuck over here in your five-year-old self. And that's what's coming up. It doesn't mean that all of you is now weak because this trigger is at the forefront, but it's let's find our way back to ourselves. So I love that because that gives people a bit of a practical way, but also like meeting with a consultant or a coach or a therapist really does jumpstart that because you kind of need someone else to help you. Was that your experience? Like first, yeah, I think like in the beginning, it felt like it was, and uh, to be honest, like, cause I don't think I really knew what it felt like to experience being connected in a nurturing moment. Like, I don't think I, yes. I think I felt very dissociated in my childhood. So I think that my yeah. mom and my dad loved me, but I think yes. because I was very self-protected and it was in a lot of survival. And I think it's a lot of us that, um, the times that they were trying to connect with me sometimes I don't think it really got in as much as it maybe could have and um and so for me I think it was important to have I have some people that sort of showed me what compassion um felt like and um both loved me externally really well but also led me through what it would feel like to love this little girl and and what I love about that you're saying too is that that connection between where have I not been listening to you and and I think that's what a lot of reparenting is too. It's saying like what we feel triggered about externally is a lot of the time the reflection of how we're treating ourselves, right? And yes. so um, what we're trying to do often is sort of be like, if I'm afraid of abandonment from out of here, 
-hmm. where have I been abandoning you? And this little girl, where have I been ignoring you? Where have I been neglecting you? Where have I not been paying attention to what's going on inside of you? And I think there's a lot of reparenting is, and that's part of why I don't really demonize triggers because um, I feel like triggers are like the best indication of what's happening inside of me. Yeah. Right. So helpful. And I think that if like, and I, I hear you, like I, I hear everybody who is shame about it. Cause I think it's so normal to feel shame about imperfection and yeah. humanity darkness. But yeah, I think the more we can sort of um, realize that our triggers aren't here to um, ruin our lives, but they're, they're not here to harm our lives. They're trying to help our lives. Right. And so the idea is like, Oh, what is it that, I'm feeling on the out about the outside of my life that is directly reflection to what I need from me. Yes. Um, but I love what you're saying. I also think I needed, I needed the people to consistently love me too. Yeah. Like, I think it's both and. Yes. Right? Like, totally. I needed some outside people that were going to like help hold my hand and I needed to learn to turn towards myself as those yeah. two. Yeah. And I think that I love that you mentioned imagination and kind of taking your inner child on imagination exercises, because that's the power of our imagination. It can recreate a new story and that's what healing is. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think there's practical things too. Like, I honestly think that like some of the reparenting that I happened, happened through like, like simple things, like I remember in the beginning of my journey, like it was really hard for me to go to a restaurant and not, there was a time in my life that it was really hard for me to go to a restaurant and order what I wanted to order and not just order what the other person was ordering or what I thought that the other person would think that it was like, it was to that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I had a lot of like, most of the decisions in my life were made about trying to make other somebody else happy. And so there was some areas that like reparenting myself was like, Hey Rachel, like you can dress what you want. That's okay. Let's Mm -hmm. try things. Like, do you want to order? What do you want? Do you know what you want? <laughs> like, yeah. I heard, I like did some fun things. Like, I went to an ice cream parlor and I was like, I don't think I actually know what flavor I want because I've been ordering the same flavor that I ordered when I was with that one person that one time. And so I went and I like tried a bunch and I was like, which flavor of ice cream do I actually want? Yeah. And this part of codependency is that it's so much about it, denying yourself to make everybody else happy that a lot of reparenting reunion was like practical things like that. Like, Oh, do I know what I like? Do I know what I want? Do I know what I'm interested in? Do I know what I need? Do I know what yeah. I feel? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that goes back to like a lot of codependency is about our relationship with self, repairing that sense of self, yeah. repairing our relationship with ourselves yeah. Um, yeah. first in yes. a lot of ways. Oh, it's so empowering and hopeful because really we're talking about living in an internal lifestyle of peace, like, and mm-hmm. feeling not, and, and it sounds like you've gone from, you mentioned torment, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, I can imagine if you're constantly like hypervigilant about it, you know, making sure everyone is okay or like, do you like that? So I can, I can be okay because I ordered the same food like that must have felt really <laughs> exhausting. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm really tired. Yeah, and I can relate to that um that internal like constant, I don't know, it's like an urgency, you know? Yeah, like an on um, edge. Yeah. On edge and it doesn't even have to look like it could be even 
yeah, work pressures, like it shows up like the pressures of work, like that, you know, codependency can show up there. And, and I think I, my hope is for the listeners to really like be able to have language around how it shows up and how they can kind of figure out where it's showing up in their life so they can set themselves free from that. (laughs) So they can Mm -hmm. find, and I love how you're sharing, like, and I think a part of um, healing is we really need to be expanded. It's like the power of testimony that shows us that there's another way of existing in the world that doesn't have to feel, Mm. feel like that. Um, Mm. and I love that, that you've shared that today. And I guess, cause the podcast called the next brave thing, what, what does, what does bravery look like getting out of, um, you mentioned like sitting in discomfort. I think that takes courage. Um, how does courage play a part in this, in this journey? Yeah. I mean, I think facing yourself is, uh, brave. Yeah. <laughs> Being honest so with yourself is brave. Yeah. Honest. Like, because I think that honestly, like inside of codependency, I think that a great deal of what we're doing is we're trying to avoid self and we're trying to avoid our own shame and we're mm-hmm. trying to avoid our own internal chaos. And yeah. so I think for me, it's sort of the practice of turning towards myself and melting towards myself over and over and over mm-hmm. again, turning towards myself and melting towards myself over and over. Um, and I think finding new ways of like accepting myself, Mm-hmm. I think that self-acceptance is probably the, one of the most brave things that I've ever done. Yeah. Because I think that there's so much, at least in the codependency part, there's so much of like, I am not okay with me until everybody else is okay with me. Or I'm not okay with me until I'm perfect. Or I'm not okay with me unless I'm good. And I'm not okay with me until everybody else's feelings are totally fine. Then they can finally, you know, feel at peace. Like it's so much about that expression. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think it's been about, can I see myself in as much honesty as I can? Like, I think we all lie to ourselves all the time. So I don't think that we can be fully, like, um, fully aware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's real. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I think that I'm just on a, a consistent journey of trying to be more aware. Mm-hmm. And then as I become more aware, what it feels like to, um, relate to myself in a new way than the way I relate to myself and mm. accept things about myself that maybe would be easier for me to judge yeah. or um, turn towards parts of me that I may have turned away from mm. in the past. And I think for me, that's, that's the process. You know, I don't, I think there's a lot of beliefs that like this journey means that I will feel less pain mm-hmm. or will just feel better overall. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think if that's your primary motivator to working on yourself, you might be disappointed (laughs) because I think that most of us, when we become more aware, we realize that we feel worse. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so true. I actually am super messy and I have a lot more pain than I thought. And so sometimes I think there's like a, like a fantasy bubble gets popped where we're like, but I was supposed to like do all of this and work through all my triggers and resolve all my parent wounds. And then I was supposed to like magically feel better. Right. And, um, I think just in codependence, there's a lot of something called magical thinking, which is the idea that like, I can make everybody else feel fine. And then I will like magically get out of my own pain or like, uh-huh. I can 
like I can fix everybody else's problems and then I'll live in a world where we'll be problemless. Like there's a lot of like magic so fix myself and then when I fix yeah. myself everything will be fine. And it's all because like a lot of our magicalness is the idea of like feeling good without having to be present. Yeah. And so nowadays I'm a lot more like I'm just trying to be present and turn towards myself and re-engage over and over and over again Yes, and re-engage with something new Mm -hmm. that I have access to in my adulthood that I didn't have when I was a kid. So whatever that new thing is, whether it's compassion, whether it's a form of truth, whether it's a form of just being with myself, just trying to re-engage with myself with something new Mm -hmm. that I didn't have that I wasn't aware of or didn't have access to when I was a child. Yeah. 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 It's so powerful. Oh my gosh. You are so filled. Like you filled this whole podcast with so much wisdom and (laughs) oh my gosh, I could like talk to you all day. Oh my gosh. So much much wisdom. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I want my audience to know you can go follow uh, Rachel at and is it at Rachel Hughes on Instagram? Is that your handle? Um, Rachel Hughes Consulting. Consulting. Yes. We'll have that in the show note because I remember she posts great memes that break down codependency, break down Mm -hmm. other dynamics on how to reparent. You've got some really great um, practical visuals, which if you're a visual mm-hmm. learner, go ahead and check it out. I'll put it all in the show notes, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's been such an honor having you on the podcast. Uh, it was a today. pleasure to be here and honor and thanks for inviting me and having me. This is so much fun. So much fun. Oh, have to have you back. So thanks for joining us.